Romans, we're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 7. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and fellowship in your name. Lord, to hear from your word, uh, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to be with like-minded brothers and sisters. We thank you for this family of believers, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of this service. Lord, prepare our hearts and minds to hear your truth today, and Lord, be with Pastor Doug as he brings it to us. And uh, Lord, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You will all want to make it a crucial effort to be here on August the 8th because Pastor Steve is going to be filling in for me. My family and I will be on, well, he's part of my family, but they're not going with us. Um, We're going to be going on vacation for the first two weeks in August. I'll be here the first. but the eighth, you, you really want to come and watch how well he's going to do after he's been up all night. And then has, you want to talk about cheap entertainment, that's the day you want to be here. Let me tell you, that'll, that'll be fun. No, he'll, he'll handle the word of God very well, I'm sure. I do have a, a couple of other prayer requests that if you wish to write these down to remember these. That would be a positive, I'm sure, for those that will be lifting up to the Lord. The first is Ruth Bush. Many of you on the prayer chain were made aware of the fact that her doctor wants to send her to a surgeon so that he can do a better diagnosis of a possible either a mass or a tumor that is found on her kidney. So you'll want to continue to pray for Ruth as she goes through these particular tests and such as that, and that the doctor would get wisdom and exactly what needs to be done to help this wonderful saint of the the family of God. Also, I was told this morning that Mary Groff, um, last evening, was awakened by a a very uh, racing heartbeat that also caused her blood pressure to go very low, and so she went to the hospital. And at this point, they sensed that she may have very well had a slight heart attack. So you want to remember remember Mary Groff also uh, this morning. So let's just quickly pray 
and we'll get into the passage that uh, Pastor Steve read for us. God, you know our risings, ups, and you know when we lay down. You know the moment we plant our feet on the floor and begin our day, you are aware of everything about us because your word tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. Individuals, Lord, that we've just mentioned are in a different situation. I pray for Ruth. I pray for Brother Bush, too, as he stands by her side, not being able to really do anything other than what we're doing this morning, and that's pray. But in prayer, there's power. Because we come to the very throne of God. And it is that place where all authority is. It's a place of grace and mercy. It's a place of peace. Because even when we do not know the outcome, we know that you do. And so we lift up to you, our dear sister Ruth, and ask, oh God, that the doctors and the surgeons that will be ministering to her in a short fashion in Florida, that you will not only give them wisdom as to what the situation is, but also give them wisdom of what needs to be done. I pray there would be a calmness that would engulf her soul as she knows very well over the years, O God, of of seeing you work mightily in their lives, but every once in a while we need to be reminded of your presence. So fill her, Lord, with a peace that passes all understanding that will guard her heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We lift up to you also Mary Groff. And though not fully aware or sure of all that has happened, but, but Lord, I thank you that you got her to the hospital and to the care. Guy, too, oh God, we're asking again for Wisdom is given to the physicians as to what needs to be done for her in order, Lord, that you would lift her up and strengthen her. I also, Lord, would like to lift up to you all of the unspoken requests. I, I say that because we, we, we show up in your sanctuary and our hearts are heavy. But we sort of think that no one really wants to hear, and so we keep it to ourselves. But I'm glad that you know. And I pray, O oh God, for the heaviness of hearts that you would lift them. Lift them in such a way, O oh God, that those who are harboring them would come to the full realization that you care that you know and you understand. Because it's all based upon what Jesus has done for us. For he came and he tabernacled with us. He knows what it is to be hungry and thirsty. He understands what it is to be lonely and misunderstood. 
He realizes the plight of this world because he felt the full weight on Calvary's cross. But he also has declared his power and that the grave could not hold him. Which means all that we have, all that we bring to the throne of grace and mercy, has already been met, has already been, uh, been supplied for, already is making its way to give God the glory for he alone is worthy. So we lift up these prayers to you, God. We ask, Lord, that you would honor yourself in answering that which gives you the most glory. When we come to your word, O oh God, I just ask simply that that which we don't understand that you would help us to realize. That which we feel weak in saying, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us strength. And that which we need to see, I pray, O oh God, that you would open our eyes. And I ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, dear people, we find ourselves in these verses that Pastor Steve read for us in Romans chapter 1. You might remember that in two weeks past, we began our journey. And we mentioned the fact that in the first six verses, Paul is inter introducing himself and his authority. You might remember that as is recorded for us in verse 1 that he first calls himself a servant, a doulos, a slave, a bond slave, in fact, of Jesus Christ. And it's there also that he refers to himself as an apostle. And as he goes on and he re reiterates where he got those particular credentials, for it is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's referring to the gospel. And now we come to verse 7. And we see one of his traits of all of his letters. For he talks of the grace and peace of God through our Savior Jesus Christ. But he introduces the thought using a term that we're not overly familiar with. It's not bantered about in the sanctuary, but the Apostle Paul refers to us as saints. And you might have a translation that says the beloved of God. Saints and the beloved. That describes for us a position. A position that we have is a characteristic. Being in Jesus Christ, we are called saints. Now, whatever you do, do not go home and start fashioning a statue of yourself. You've seen those before. The veneration of individuals, in fact, most 
Most saints that I know of that have been given that title are dead. I don't know if you want to pursue that or not. We're called saints. That term in of itself is interesting because it speaks of a twofold situation. Saints, the term literally means set apart ones. We have been set apart for the very purposes of God. Relative, if you will, when you go back to the books of, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there you will find certain utensils that were fashioned for the tabernacle. And they were set apart from everything else. In other words, they had a specific mission. And they were only to be used for that. But the other meaning is just as powerful. Because if we are called saints, there has to be at least a time when we were not. The scriptures are very clear. And realizing the fact that all of us outside of Christ were bound for one location. I found an interesting quote that sort of hung with me all this week. And it goes something like this. In the courts of hell, there is no innocent soul. In the court of hell, there is no innocent soul. That's where we were all bound. We were, Scripture says, at one time, we were all enemies of God. We were contrary to him. Until, by grace, through faith, now we're called saints. Paul writes it a little bit differently than I've described it as he writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 when he says, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son, whom he loves. It's a change of position. It's a change of place. It's a change of responsibility. But you'll notice that next phrase, beloved of God. We do know and understand that God so loved the world. Amen? He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. God does love the world, but he really looks at his saints as being his beloved. As neighbors in the neighborhood, we should love them. But I'm here to tell you that our families, our intermediate families in our households, take precedent over our neighbors because they're beloved. They hold a very special place. Being beloved by God means we are close to his heart in the very depths of his. He's given to us his spirit. 
in our spirit. That Paul says later when we get to Romans chapter 10, that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are the children of God. Saints and beloved. But it's all made possible as the verse closes by the grace and peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the grace which is the source of and peace which is the vehicle for our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're only saints as we belong to the family. The Apostle Paul is not just introducing himself. Now he is starting to identify himself with the ones that he's never met. He never established a church at Rome. He has no idea what is overly going on there other than what he hears as he met Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 15. They were kicked out of Rome, as all the Jews were kicked out of Rome, under the Caesar called Constantine. I'm sorry, yeah, Constantine. He was, they were all dismissed. And it's under Nero, in the early years of Nero's rule, that they were able to come back. So all Paul knows about the church at Rome is what he hears from individuals that he comes in contact with. He's not been there. The text will tell us later on that he so longed to be there, but he hadn't gotten there yet. But I'm here to tell you, according to history, he's on his way. When he makes his appeal to to, uh, the Roman government at that time, and the fact that he himself is a Roman citizen, he demands that his case be heard before Caesar. So eventually he will get to Rome, but he's not there yet. And so he is identifying himself with those whom he yet desires to meet. What is he trying to get at? Well, I trust for us this day, we will be able to look at least six characteristics of sainthood. Six characteristics of sainthood. This is not the all and end all passage. For you can go to Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22 to 24, and there you will find the fruit of the Spirit. Characteristics that we should have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness. Of these there is no law. You may very well can go to John chapter 15. As Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me. He says, for without me you can do nothing. We understand all of that passage. But at least in this passage, as the Apostle Paul is identifying himself with those whom he yets to seize, he highlights six characteristics of his life. That would be good for us to also have. We've already mentioned the first one. It's we have a new position. We're saints. I would prefer not to be referred to as Pastor Doug anymore. 
Saint Doug will be just fine. <laughs> as I will refer to all of you as Saint. No, not really. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're more familiar with. But the Apostle Paul says we're saints, beloved of God. The second thing I, I wish to draw your attention to in this passage is this. Is that the Apostle Paul begins by highlighting the characteristic of gratitude. I thank my God. Gratitude. I was so blessed this morning as I'm walking past the Vacation Bible School display out in the foyer that one of the characteristics for this week of Vacation Bible School is gratitude, being thankful for all that we have. Gratitude is that which Paul refers to in Philippians chapter 4 when he talks about be anxious in nothing. But through prayer with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He adds that with thanksgiving. Gratitude. I was interestingly found a quote from Matthew Henry, a longtime famous Bible scholar, as he wrote one day in his diary, he, he wrote this entry when he said, Lord, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Third, and let me be thankful that Although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not I who robbed. Thankful. Gratitude. Can you imagine your life right now if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? Where would you be? What would you be doing? I'm so thankful that God rescued me, and I'm sure you are too, that God rescued you from you. Oh, we could think of a lot of things that we might have become. I don't know about you, but I was hooked on speed, not the drug. I was hooked on fast. Motorcycle, snowmobile, 1973 Ford Pinto station wagon. <laughs> I was hooked on fast. But God rescued me from me. He gave me a back that I could no longer ride. He gave me two hips that I could no longer run. And he gave me a wife that made sure I behaved. He rescued me. Where would we be without Jesus Christ? In this world that has gone crazy, if it wasn't for Christ, 
what would we be? Gratitude. Yes, we like Matthew Henry can say, I'm glad I got robbed. And I wasn't the one who did it. But rescued. Gratitude. The Apostle Paul says, I thank God that I hear of your faith. And throughout all the world. Now, now you've got to stop and contemplate that. Because in Roman time, in Roman government, the Caesars were to be worshipped. They were viewed as God. What they said was unarguably carried out. They snapped their fingers and it was done. No argument. And if you did, you found yourself tied to a stake, left to die all alone. It was during that Roman government, you might remember, where Jesus was crucified between two thieves. They were very good at causing pain. And here Paul is saying that your testimony of Jesus Christ supersedes the area, the philosophy, the community of that known world. And I heard about it as he's writing this text as he's in Corinth over in Asia Minor. He's thankful. He's gratitude. Because I am sure that their testimony strengthened him. We'll get to that later because he desires to go meet them. To have iron, sharpening iron, so to speak. Thirdly, he talks about a powerful testimony. Both theirs and he shares about his. So he is associating his work with their work. We're in this together. I find it pretty degrading to the name of Jesus Christ that churches who are given the gospel of Jesus Christ find it necessary to fight each other. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's enough pagans for everybody. We don't hold a corner in heaven. I'll be happy if I just get one brick to stand on for all eternity. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, your faith is spreading throughout all the world. And he says, and I'm over here preaching the gospel in verse 13 to the Gentiles over here in Asia Minor. We're, we're in this thing together. Can you imagine the United States going to war and the army fights against our Marines, the Navy fights against our Air Force, and we're not communicating and we're not joined and unified? The Apostle Paul is setting the stage, if you will. He's setting the table for what is yet to come when he talks about we're all under the same condemnation. We're in this together. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, you don't know how myself and Pastor Steve long for the time of when we hear of your faith that is spread about. When we show up at 
Ridgeview to get some cold meat. And as the girls are waiting on us, they said, you're Pastor Doug, right? I said, yeah. Do you know this person in your church? I said, yeah. <laughs> well, they came in the other day and they started telling me about you. Oh, yeah, I know them good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. He is that jacked up that he says, praise be to God. Because it's his work. Thank the Lord. Number four, we move quickly. He talks about a purpose of prayer. Praying saints. Praying saints. First of all, he talks about an an intimate prayer. For he says in, in, in verse nine, he says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. That word serve there is coinciding, he picks that up again in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when he says it's our reasonable service, it's worship. Paul looks at prayer as being worshipful. We come before God. On his, he seated on his throne. And all around the world at the same time, prayers are being lifted up and he hears them all. As Pastor Steve said this morning in our prayer time prior to the service, he said, God, I'm so glad that you strain your neck to hear us. We do that out of worship. Serve. Intimacy of prayer. Secondly, he talks about an incessant prayer. Unceasing. Continual. He says, God is my witness that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if somehow in God's will, I may now at least, at last succeed in coming to you. Incessant, unceasing. He wants it so bad that he's not going to stop until God makes it a reality. Lastly, an intercessory prayer. It says he makes mention of them. Intercessory prayer. Someone standing between you and the throne of God, lifting up you and your needs. Paul says it's a purpose. Prayer is a vital characteristic of the life of a saint. Number five. Now Paul gets to the nitty gritty when he talks about a passion for the lost in verse 14. When he says these words, I am obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. He's obligated. He's a debtor. He's in debt to them because he realizes at one time he was one of them. Uh, You might remember in the book of Philippians, as the apostle Paul is admonishing the church there in Philippi, he would say this phrase, and you who were once like that. 
The gospel is simply this, dear people. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're no better than the lost. Only that we are part of the family of God and we have bread to give. The Apostle Paul, I'm in debt. I'm in debt to both the wise and the foolish, the barbarian, the Scythian, the Jew, the Gentile, everyone. Remember, he is not a critical race theory advocate. He wants everybody to know about Jesus. He has a passion for the lost. So much so he describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verses 19 down to verse 28, when he describes, to the Jews I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. In other words, no. To a drug addict, he did not start using drugs. But he went to where they were. To the alcoholic, he didn't become an alcoholic. But he determined to go where they were. So that they could find bread. A beggar needs bread. He had so much of a passion that he was himself literally chased down by the elite of the Jewish faith, hunted as a wild dog, because he didn't go according to protocol. The Apostle Paul moved according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, he was a presenter of the gospel. It says in verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16 and 17, which we commented on last week, highlight four points concerning the gospel, and they are this. First of all, the gospel is the power of God. If you want to unleash the power of God, start sharing the gospel. It is the very power of God. The word power there in the Greek is what we get our English word dynamite. You want to see dynamite in action, just light the fuse. Whatever you do, don't hold it. But light the fuse and see what happens. It is that powerful that it can take buildings down. The gospel is that powerful that it can set souls free from the kingdom of darkness. It's the power of God. Secondly, it's for everyone. It's for everybody. The Apostle Paul says it is for the Jew, Jews first, but also the Greeks. It's for everybody. The gospel is not that which should be filtered around only to those that we like to talk to. It's for everybody. I can't wait for vacation Bible school 
so many different children from so many different families, from so many different customs. It's, it's going to be exciting for the gospel to be said. And then thirdly, it does lead to salvation. But not just from the initial salvation as being justified. For it also carries us all the way home. It is that powerful that we have been declared righteous by God. We're being developed in righteousness by God. And one day our destination is going to be full righteousness in glory. The gospel, as it says, works from faith to faith, beginning to end. And it's available for the just shall live by faith. Lastly, it satisfies and supports our faith. How do we know that we're bound for heaven. When we close our eyes on this earth and our last breath of earthly air is taken, how do we know where we will go? It's because he said so. He said so. All these six characteristics, again, all in themselves, are not the end all to be all. But it is a beginning to act like we are saints. We have a new position. And we have a gratitude, a testimony, prayer, passion, and preaching. Six things. And the Apostle Paul says is what's carried him. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get through chapter 1. Lord willing. I challenge you to begin reading at verse 18 to the end of the chapter. It's not pretty. It doesn't paint a good picture but it is the reality of what life would be without the gospel. That is what we will focus on next week. We thank you, our God, as time has fleeted from us. I pray that your word will not dissipate as quickly. May it stick to us. May it be that which guides us, encourages us, and literally causes us to take hold of the truth of what it is to be beloved of God. Let us, O oh God, be that as we live this coming week. May you use us for your glory. Establish us for your purpose. Grant us your peace. 
And I'll be careful to thank you and praise you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. And all God's people would say, Amen.